listening to The Journey Podcast. The Journey is a college and young adult ministry of Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. All right. All right. Awesome. So I wanted to show that to you guys real quick. That is the North American Mission Board. Last week, we showed a video of the International Mission Board. My wife, uh, Caitlin, she came here and kind of talked about that. So just giving you a heads up, we're going to announce it more. But um, it's not only internationally that we're looking at. We're also looking at just uh, continental missions. We partner strategically as a Southern Baptist Church of Southcrest with both of those organizations, which are actually under the big umbrella of what's called the Southern Baptist Convention. And so just wanted to preview that a little bit to you guys. And so if the, the thought of going internationally is daunting, which it, it should be, right? That's, that's, a, that's a cool thing, but also can be a scary thing. And you're like, you're like, no way to that. But you may consider like maybe Canada or somewhere in North America, somewhere in the United States that has a low population of Christians. Hey, we're going to be able to send you there. Y'all good? Can you get a thumbs up? You good? All right. Awesome. Hey, I have, a, I have a confession to make tonight. It's, it's from my childhood. I haven't told many people about it. So y'all need to get, make sure you're seated firmly. All right, it's gonna be shocking for you. I can just tell you're so excited about my childhood confession. Um, so I have tried so hard and I just, even as a kid, I practiced. I didn't know what was gonna happen to me. I'm just, it's, I'm in a really desperate situation, guys. I actually, I can't whistle. Yeah. Oh, come on. It's rubbing it in. Everyone's whistling. I, I can't whistle. Like, I, I, I just, that's me. Like, I can't whistle. It sounds like, like a dying bird when I, when I try to whistle. It sounds awful. Here's, here's another one. Y'all stop it, all right? You're making me. Are y'all someone doing the Hunger Games thing? Oh, gosh. Um, oh, my gosh. I asked for this. Lord, I... You should have stopped me. This is, this is what I deserve. Anyway, hey, another confession. I, I could never blow a bubble with bubble gum. Never do it. Didn't y'all have gum? Please don't, don't do it. Oh my gosh. Nick, don't do it, man. I like that rogue shirt, by the way, man. Represent CrossFit, baby. All right. Uh, that's already a CrossFit reference. We've just begun. Y'all settle in. It's going to get awesome tonight. So, hey, there's, there's, there's things as, as, a, as a kid growing up, like whistling, blowing a bubble, where honestly, like, I, I was just looking at those like, how, how am I supposed to do that? Like, I was amazed. Like, I was even jealous of, like, other kids that could do it. I'm like, what, what's wrong with me? What, what needs to change about me to be able to blow a, a stinking bubble, right? You know, like, every time I'd see, like, a little double bubble thing on a desk, it gives me, like, trauma. Like, oh, man, I can't do it. I can't blow a bubble. You know, it's just terrible. It's terrible. A little childhood confessions coming out now. Uh, I don't know how much y'all charge for this, but thank you so much uh, for let, letting me have this space. But hey, as I actually grew up uh, just a little bit, uh, I remember there were other things that I, I saw in uh, people that things maybe I was interested in. And I was like, man, that's that's really awesome. Like, I wish that I could do that. I, growing up in athletics, as soon as I thought that I was good at, at sports or something, I would see somebody be like, man, I want to I want to be that good. Right. I, I wonder what it would take. What lifestyle change would I need to make? to be that good, or, or even looking at intellect or intelligence, or even looking at gu guitar playing ability. I, I got a guitar performance minor at Howard Payne University, really small university in Brownwood, Texas, Central Texas. And I remember I thought I was kind of getting good. And then another guy kind of comes along. I was like, man, what, what, what would it take for me to be that good? And even as I'm an adult, 
like here, as I'm an older adult, I'm 29 years of age. Yeah, I still can't, you know, blow a bubble, still can't whistle very well, still can't do a lot of things. Um, now I'm in this weird niche where y'all know it's coming. Like I'm, I'm sitting on CrossFit. Like I love, I love CrossFit, I love working out. And something happened a few weeks ago called the CrossFit Games. And so I'm feeling pretty good about myself. And then I see them do some things. I'm like, oh, okay, well, I suck. This is awesome. You know what I mean? Like the things that they can do, like all these weird like pull-ups into this and that and like flying everywhere and running, like they run faster than me, they're stronger than me. And I began to ask myself the question, like, kind of oddly, uh, just like blowing bubbles and whistling, man, what, what would need to change about me? What lifestyle change would I need to be able to make in order to, to actually be able to do something like that someday. I remember Seth Cummings asked, dude, would you ever do the CrossFit Games? I was like, no, probably not, man. No, no way. But I actually looked it up. I was like searching, like, what does their training look like? What does their nutrition look like? And <laughs> Hunter's making the steroids a sign. No, 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 no. It's a clean sport, bro. Come on. Um, anyway, so I looked into it. And so these guys are doing like four or five, six workouts every single day. They're eating like six to 7,000 calories a day. Like I only eat two to three and I still gain weight. And it's not muscle, right? You know what I mean? So that, that's not gonna work. And I can't work out that many times. Just one kills me. And so I realized, man, I just, I, I, I can't do that. It's, that's not for me. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna enjoy it. Kind of go to my one a day workout, kind of make references to it on Tuesday night. And that's gonna be my feel, right? Hey, I don't know about any of you, um, those are super goofy examples, but in kind of the Christianese bubble, um, we kind of look at people as we're in our Reaching the Unreached series, talking about missions. Uh, We can kind of look at people that maybe like their missions game is up there, right? And we can some be tempted to kind of look at them um, with this sort of awe sometimes or maybe think, hey, I can... I could never do that, right? Or, or maybe, hopefully, you would ever even ask the question, you see somebody, maybe someone in the journey, like they're, they're going on mission trips, or they seem like they're just really nailing the idea of living this sort of missional lifestyle. I think of uh, Zach and Becca Calderon. Like they just, they are living missionally, living sacrificially to uh, the glory of God for the mission of God. And I don't know about you, it can be easy sometimes. Just like, man, I, I, could, never, I could never do that. And you get discouraged well, I don't know, could I go to Thailand for that long? No, sure can't, sure can't. Just the way I look at the CrossFit guys, you're like, no, I could never do that. It's tempting to kind of look at people who maybe seem to be way above and beyond you, way advanced in this area, and think, I could never do that. What I want you to be asking, a better question, is what type of lifestyle change would it take for you to be living more missionally. More, better put, how can you live a missional lifestyle? Because as we talked about last week, there are multiple ways that you can be engaged in the mission of God. We're gonna talk about that tonight. Some of you probably assume like, hey, I've learned a little bit about this Cole guy. I know he lived overseas for two years. I know he's really passionate about missions. He probably is judging me if I don't plan on ever going on a mission trip. And that's furthest from the truth. I know none of you, uh, sorry, not none of you. I know a lot of you may never uh, go uh, to certain places that I've been or other places will go, but you can be involved. And so we're all called to biblically to be passionate about this. Y'all with me? with me? So how can we live a missional lifestyle? We all turn with me to Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. 
just as a side note, you would be my best friend forever if somebody could bring a water bottle to me some point in the next five minutes. That would be super awesome. My, my voice is like really parsed. <laughs> Zeke, you got me, bro. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate it. How can you live a missional lifestyle? I don't, have, I don't have the vid, guys. I'm good, all right? I got it. I'm done with it. I quarantine. We're good. I'm not sick, if you're worried about that. <laughs> Matthew chapter 9, verse 38. We'll really start in verse 35. Y'all turn with me there. Matthew 9, 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he, lay, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his Harvest, And again, I want you to be so encouraged, so many ways that we can be engaged in the mission of God. Hey, I'll give it up for Tyler Wickstrom. Thanks, brother. I appreciate it. There will be a sermon tonight because of you, Tyler. Thank you so much, brother. Some of you are like, oh, man. Anyway, how can you live a missional lifestyle? I think what Matthew chapter 9 is showing us, even in the words of Jesus, we can live a missional lifestyle by praying for the unreached. Okay, so let me flesh this out a little bit. We're asking the question, do we have the compassion that Jesus had? Do you, do you have his heart? Because in this passage, we see his compassion for the lost. You see how it says that in verse 36, he had compassion on them. He saw them as harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That's how he's seeing the unreached. That's how he's seeing people without the gospel. I don't know if you've ever studied much about sheep. You don't need to study much because they're very simple. They're very dumb, right? If they don't have a shepherd with them, they're toast, right? If there's a cliff within 10 miles and there's not a shepherd, they will go straight to that cliff and fall off. Like just, this is what they do. Like they will find a way to die. Sheep are very helpless without a shepherd. And the humbling thing is that's a picture that Jesus is portraying of us apart from him. When we do not have Christ, that's the picture of the lost and the unreached. And it said that reality gave him an immense compassion. And so do, we, do you have that compassion? And perhaps what's surprising is if you did have that compassion, we may be thinking Jesus would say, go, fix it now. Go to them right now. Fix, fix their lostness. What does he say? I'll just read it. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Plenty of lost people out there ready to hear the gospel. Laborers are few. There's not enough people. Actually, therefore, Pray. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. The problem is not at that moment. He was looking at his disciples like, yeah, you can do something, but we actually need more of you. He's like, I need you to be praying for more of you. You can't do it on your own. How many of you have heard the term, uh, hopefully you have, it's been a couple weeks, um, unreached people group by raise of hand. Unreached people group. I want you, I want every hand raised, every hand to be raised by next week. Yeah, this is super important. An unreached people group is a term used in missiology that basically is indicating different organizations kind of, kind of differ on this, but basically it's about two to three percent. Um, if you are less than about two to three percent Christian in whatever people group this is, then you are considered unreached. 
okay? And so like Lubbock, like soaring way above that, right? Like soaring above that. Um, whenever you look at your, your campus, um, not, not very high, not as high as you would think, but probably not an unreached level and probably not less than two to 3% Christian. And so check this out. Now you know what an unreached people group is. Around the whole world, again, people groups, less than two to 3% Christian around the whole world, it's estimated that there are 3.2 billion people that are considered unreached. Isn't that crazy? You examine all the people groups around the world and they're saying 3.2 billion people fall under this category. Here's some more stats for you. I'll lean in this. If you're a note taker, man, take them down. If, if, you, if you don't want to, just ask me after. That is 42.5% of the world's population are unreached. So when you look at our entire globe, that means you look at people groups and all those things like that. It's unbelievable in Lubbock, Texas. It'd be unbelievable in just Texas, even in the United States, to think about that measure, that degree of lostness. And here's what's crazy. We're looking at 42.5% of the entire world's population is unreached. And guess what? 99% of mission funds do not go to unreached people groups. 99% of mission funds do not go to 42.5% of the entire world's population. You know how much they get? This is, this is tallying many, many organizations. They only get unreached people groups and going to them and the work that involves, all the work that involves only get 0.1%. Not 1%, 0.1% of missions go to UPGs when they represent 42.5% of the entire human population. That is a whopping, if you look at how much is given towards missions, you're looking at about 45 billion. That means only 450 million out of 45 billion is given to this amount of people. Those are the funds being used to send out the laborers. And because of that, guess what? Missions organizations can only afford about one person for every 50,000 unreached people. I got news for you. I, I can't even reach, let's say all of you are believers in this room. I maybe barely reach 50 of you, maybe. <laughs> like that, and I'd be working night and day, like tired. <laughs> one for every 50,000 people. And so I, I hope you're kind of tuning in. I know some of you are like, numbers like, uh, I'm, I'm tuning out, I'm gonna check Instagram. All right, but what that means, the numbers stand for themselves, guys. We need to pray for more laborers, right? Amen. We need to pray not only for more laborers that maybe churches would be awakened. Like, no offense to you, like I know this. I've been aware that many people don't know what an unreached people group is. I know that. So no judgment to you. But we need to bring awareness so that next week everyone here is raising the hand when I ask. And that maybe church, more churches in the, in the places you go will know about this. Bring awareness and say, hey, I'm not saying you got to give them all, all your funds. I'm saying, can we do better than 0.1%? Amen? Amen? That's crazy, right? And so pray for laborers to go out into the harvest. Pray for more strategic giving. How do we know that they're really unreached? Well, let me, let me tell you, because some people are like, how do you know they're unreached? You're just making this stuff up. Well, I, I would actually, not to discourage you, but the number of unreached is, 
is probably higher. <laughs> Those are probably conservative estimates because what they have to consider is, is they're kind of looking at pockets of people. Sometimes it's just hoping like they, they should be reached. And so I'm just saying, like, do we really know that there's unreached people groups? Man, I don't think that's the right question. I was like, let's, let's send laborers out to the harvest and find out. Amen? Let's find out because they're there. They're there. So I just want to, to invite you in to the prayer. Let's pray. Let's, let's stop and pray. Let me just pray this, pray this with me. God, we see the numbers. We, we see the immense need. And we pray to you, help your people do something about this. We pray to you earnestly, send laborers out into the harvest, God. We know they are there. We know there are people waiting to hear the gospel. Send laborers out in Jesus' name, amen. So how can you live a missional lifestyle? You just did it, about 15, 20 seconds. Amen, isn't that cool? Praying for the unreached. Literally, you just got involved with missions. Praying for the unreached. Was that somewhat easy at least? Fair minimum easy? Yeah, yeah, first way. So as we're praying, there are other things that we can do to be engaged with the mission of God. I want you guys to turn with me now. We're going to be in different uh, passages of Scripture. The first one we were in was Matthew 9, really chapter, uh, verse 38. Now we're going to be in Philippians 4, 14 through 20. If you want to really take this in and, and be pondering and reflecting on how you can be more missional, man, I encourage you to jot these Scripture passages down. So Philippians chapter 4, verses 14 through 20. Paul is talking to the church at Philippi. They have been very generous to him. They've supported him in his ministry as he's been a functional missionary to them. Starting in verse 14. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Water break. Hold on a second. All right. As I'm looking at this passage, looking at what Paul's saying to them, I'm, I'm seeing, man, we can live a missional lifestyle by praying. We can also live a missional lifestyle by giving toward kingdom expansion. Now, mainly room of college students and, and, and young adults who are entry-level jobs, do not tune me out when I say giving, all right? Yo, hold on there. I'm not dumb. I, I know I know, all right? I know we don't have much, so just don't tune out. I'm not that stupid to be hitting up the college minister for money, all right? We're good. Hang in with me. You can live a missional lifestyle by giving toward kingdom expansion. I want you to notice, Paul is mentioning several different places that he's traveled. He's mentioned Macedonia, Thessalonica. He had traveled through Philippi. He was sent out from the church at Antioch. If you, if you flip to the back of most of your Bibles, it actually shows Paul's uh, like first, second missionary journeys. And this one has his third missionary journey, his voyage to Rome. Like you can see all the places that Paul went. He was, he was a functional missionary. And so what he's asking the church at Philippi and what, what he's saying is, hey, y'all, y'all gave to me. Thank you so much. And did you notice that he said at the beginning... No church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Why? Why do you think that is? 
You know, I was, I was studying this week. I, I bet you that ancient church, modern church, similar issues. We kind of struggle to see the value in, in giving our, our, our funds to the mission of God. Y'all, y'all see that? The struggle there. He said, no church except you. I mean, we're only giving 0.1% to UPG, so I think it's still a little bit of an issue, kind of understanding the need for this. But man, when we see what, what Paul was able to do, and what if we're giving right now? What if we could be giving to the next sort of apostle Paul to our generation? Ever think about that? That's crazy. He was just an average guy. <laughs> just saying, hey man, I'm, I'm traveling, being faithful. Thank you for your support. I, I remember um, in my sort of one month transition, I um, came to visit here at the journey. None of you knew who I was. In the very beginning of, of December, I'd been talking with Brandon. I was, people ask who I was, I was his friend from Dallas. Um, but uh, we were pretty sure things were kind of looking good. And um, I, I remember just going through the interview process. It was amazing. I was seeing a lot of the cool things that God was doing at this church. Um, y'all, y'all know me. I've shared in my, I, I'm passionate about missions and, 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 and apologetics and just kind of that general area. That's kind of become my niche. Um, um, but I, I was already just amazed. This is an amazing church. And so I went back home, was just excited and ready and had this amazing transition. And all of a sudden I, I got word of the report of how much that our church during at Christmas time gave to missions. Let me give you a background. International Mission Board promoted them last week, promoting them this week, every week saying, hey, here's a way you can go they have something called the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering. Lottie Moon was a female missionary, a pioneer of missions on the east coast of China, did a lot of amazing things like when Caitlin and I, not supposed to say this, but we were there <laughs> in that specific area, uh, we were riding on the backs of Lottie Moon, very much so, on, on the work that she started, all right? It, it was amazing. And so there's a, miss, there's a specific fund called Lottie Moon Christmas Offering that goes to them. 100% of this offering, check this out, doesn't go to like pay people behind a computer, which is a good thing. Doesn't go to people, pay people in the States. 100% of this offering goes straight to field personnel, people that are missionaries around the world. So kind of like Church at Philippi, what they gave went straight to Paul, purely to the work that he needed. That's what we're still doing today. That's what the Lottie Moon Christmas offering is. And I was just amazed. Guess how much our church, South Crest, gave to that? $300,000. $300,000. That's crazy. That's Christmas time. We got presents to buy, right? <laughs> like, that's when giving's supposed to be down. So I want to tell you, we have a faithful, amazing church. There's a, there's a history of generosity here. Like there's a history of generosity to, to make what we do on Tuesday nights and to make a lot of the things that we do much cheaper than they, than they would otherwise be if we didn't have generized people giving. That's just a, a little bit of an example. There's the stuff that we can do on campus, the things that, how we can impact lost people in so many ways. It's because of generosity here. $300,000 given by this church. And here's a question I want to ask you. And it's not to make you feel guilty. But did anybody in this room represent even one of those dollars? I did not. I wasn't here yet. <laughs> right? So I'm with you. I didn't represent any of those $300,000. But I'd ask you, what would it say about us as a college ministry? Y'all got super quiet. It's awesome. What would it say about us as a college ministry that because we exist, 
that Southcrest Baptist Church got to give more than $300,000 this year. You see where I'm going with that? Notice I didn't put a number. What would it say about us as a college ministry if maybe for two to three days, instead of eating out every day, you have a PB&J? There's 10 bucks. Give $10. That's all I'm asking for. Jesus, do you remember the story where he commended the woman who gave like basically the equivalent of like a penny? You know what I mean? And, and they're like, well, why, are you, why are you like saying that she only gave a penny? And he's like, that's all she had. That's all she had. Guys, I know your, I know your life. I, I know I've been in college. I've been there. I've been a young adult age. Like really not many years out of that stage. I know. I'm trying to, I'm trying to get you guys to think strategically. If every single person in this room gave $10, that'd be more than, you know, other rest of the church gives $300,000. See where I'm going with that? Y'all good? Man, y'all are super quiet. I must have touched an idol or something. Man, don't take away my Chipotle, brother. Hey, Jesus is not looking for the number. You, you change that number whenever you want. If you want to literally still give a penny, that's fine. <laughs> like, yep, that's me. I'm the poor woman that, the, that Jesus commended. Give a penny. Jesus doesn't want your numbers. He wants your heart. Amen? He wants your heart. I don't want to let you off the hook. But it's like, oh, give your, give your talents. Give your this. No, there are specific times. We're talking about your funds. It's talking about the money that you make. It's so, so important. I'm telling you this now when you don't have any money. So when you do, when you have a, a, a six-figure salary, they're not like, oh, whatever. I don't have enough to give. It's like, actually, you got 10000 a year to give. You see what I'm saying? I, I'm telling you this now so you won't be like so many in our parents' generation and grandparents' generation who aren't giving. I'm telling you that now. Gen Z right now has the potential to be the generation to change a lot of things. That's why we talk about hard things like this. So how can you live a missional lifestyle? I just lost about half of you talking about giving. How can you live a missional lifestyle by giving toward kingdom expansion? We care about this. We allow the compassion for missions and the, and the glory of God among the nations. We allow that to even touch our wallets. So technically, you could pray just by yourself, and you could give by yourself. You, you can do that, just you and Jesus alone. But there are some things to be involved with the mission of God that you can't do by yourself. This is something that we do together as the church. It's very important. So y'all turn to Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 4. Acts 13, 1 through 4. Acts 13, 1 through 4 says this. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simon, who is called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, a Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Friends, we can we can pray, we can give, but this next piece is so good too. We can live a missional lifestyle by sending to the nations. I want you to notice this pattern. 
people are so compassionate and stirred about the mission of God that they're not only praying, they're fasting. They're saying, we're going to go without food, Lord. We see that laborers need to be sent into the harvest. We're going to go without food and pray to you. Make it clear. Show us who it is that you're going to send. They see something in Barnabas and Saul. It says they pray even more. They pray over them, and then they send them out. That's the pattern of the church. I already made mention to this at the time. Paul was known as Saul. He wasn't the guy who wrote about half of the New Testament yet. He wasn't the Apostle Paul yet. The church was, was doing things like this all the time. Acts highlights this because it's Barnabas and Paul, a pretty big deal. But they were doing these type of things all the time. He could have just ended up being an average guy. So I wanna, I'm telling you, church, when we journey, as we send people out, as you think about this, you could be sending out the next Barnabas. You could be sending out the next Apostle Paul. But even if they're not the next Barnabas or Apostle Paul, they're a laborer to go out into the harvest. Amen? So this means there's great, great power in sending people out. And that's where I kind of shared with you last week. I think Jesus is kind of over there. I can't change your heart. I can't ultimately lead you, but I can point you. That's where one of the next little pieces I think he wants to take us in this ministry is sending people out. We're going to do it next week. We're sending out Sarah Peters and Macy Hare. They're going to go um, to the other side of the world. Macy's going to go to several different places uh, around the world and the world race. And Sarah's going to Uganda, correct? Got it right. Yeah. Um, and we're going to send them out. We're going to pray, pray for them and, and send them out. And Lord willing, in the spring, as we're presenting all these summer mission opportunities through the International Mission Board and North American Mission Board, we're going to have more to send out. I'd love to, I'd love to send out 10. We pray, pray over you, send you out just like Barnabas and Saul did because our, our ministry doesn't exist only so we can come together and, and feel good about ourselves once a week. There has to be some transformation that comes. Yes, when, when you come into this place broken, like some of you are listening like, dude, are you kidding me? Like, you don't even know my life. Like, I don't need to think about missions right now. Like, my life's a mess. Like, I need you to offer the gospel to me. And guess what? We're, we're gonna do that. We do that every week. But it doesn't only exist so that lost can hear the gospel, hear that you can be encouraged, but that we may be sent out with the same message you see that? It's reciprocal. You get to be here four or five, six years, a lot of you, and just be, be blessed with men and women who love you and, and pour into you and then go and take that and do something with that. That's, that's where we're going. You can live a missional lifestyle by sending people to the nations. And so there's, there's two more things we've yet to talk about. I believe they're the most challenging ways. One of them's predictable. One of them's, I think, something you haven't thought about. So if you could go with me to Romans chapter 10, verses 13 through 17. Romans 10, 13 and 17. Just curious, but by, by raise of hands, how many of you have been on a mission trip of some kind, local, international, whatever? Okay, cool. All right, good. Just, just trying, to, trying to get a pulse of, of the room. So when we're looking at chapters like, you know, I asked you to turn to it, and then I didn't turn to it. That's really funny. There we go. It's right there. Bam. Romans chapter 10, verses 13 through 17. I want you to kind of hear these words. Uh, again, Paul is saying these words. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's verse 13. 
How will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? Isaiah is giving an objection, saying, we have proclaimed the gospel. Some people haven't heard, or some people haven't believed. That's very true. But then, number, verse 17 says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Now, I want you to look at the order that Paul kind of goes in from verse 13 forward. He mentions that people are going to call on the name of the Lord, going to believe, going to hear. People are going to preach. They're going to be sent but here's the problem. For us to really apply this to our lives, we've got to reverse engineer this. Paul did it kind of in reverse order. Here's how it actually works. First, we've got to go. We've got to be sent, right? So that then we can preach or proclaim the gospel. Like, caveat here, when it says preach the gospel, it's not the thing that only Pastor David and Brandon and I do. It's, it's proclaim. Verbalize the gospel. And then... I got lost. They can preach, proclaim the gospel so people can hear the gospel so that they can then believe in the gospel and call upon the name of Jesus to be saved. Paul is saying, you want to reach the unreached? Here's the formula. Here's how it works. Here's how it's always going to work. And you'll notice the first step when we reverse engineer what the order would be chronologically. First step is someone's got to go. Someone's got to go. I think, have you ever been inspired by like those stories of, of, of sacrifice? Like those stories you hear, there's like a burning building and the, and the, and the fireman who is even told by, by all of his, everyone on the scene, like you don't have to go in. Like it's, I, I don't think we can get them. And he, he says, no, I'm, I, I'm gonna go in anyway. And sometimes you're trying to hold them back and he runs in, he goes in, the building's collapsing. You think it's over. He comes out victorious. He's got the kids in his arms, right? And like, that's, that's emotional, right? That stirs you up. You see these stories of sacrifice. And what I think that is, I think that why those stir our hearts a little bit is that's a, that's a reflection of how we're created in the image of God. God has created us to be stirred up by images of sacrifice because God has sacrificed very greatly on our behalf by sending us Jesus, his one and only son, to die for our sins on the cross. And guess what? When Jesus says in the gospels, take up your cross and follow me, you know an abbreviation of that? Make sacrifices for my glory. That's what he's saying. Make sacrifices for my glory. I think it's asking, in, in your life, it's asking the question, if not me, then Who? If I'm, if I'm not going to go, then who? If I'm not going to sacrifice in this specific way, then who? Who's going to do it? And that's what I want to invite you into is a lifelong wrestle, friends. A lifelong wrestle with that question. I've already told you. There's going to be some of you who may just never go somewhere in, internationally. You, you may just never do that. This may, this may be a piece where you're just like, you know what? I don't think that's for me. But what I want you to do is wrestle with the question and ask, okay, if not, if going is not for me, then why? And to have a really, really good answer. Have a really, really good answer. And because of putting on, remember we said last week, put your yes on the table before God. What life experience do you need to be having? Put your yes on the table before God. It's asking, okay, if not me, then who? Because that's the place 
I tell you this, I was very, very far from any willingness to consider anything. When I finally got to the place that I needed to be, I, I was I was saying, okay, if not me, then who? And that's the place that, that God made the answer very clear. He said, actually, Cole, this time, it is you. <laughs> this time, it is you. <laughs> it's, it's your turn to go. You've been praying, you've been You've been sending, giving, all those good things, but now it's your turn to go. So that's why I ask you to put your yes on the table, constantly asking God that question because it's life-changing. And guess what? God's pretty good at getting you to go even when you don't want to. Read the story of Jonah. Homeboy was in the belly of a fish. Yeah, God goes to some pretty crazy lengths to get us to go when we're not willing. So you can live a missional lifestyle, friends, by going to the nations. If you never heard the story of Jonah, that would have been a really funny reference. Um, we'll talk about it later. So the last way that you can live a missional lifestyle, like I said, maybe something you're not expecting. How can you do it? You can live a missional lifestyle by welcoming the nations. So we, we said you can do it by sending to the nations. You can do it by going to the nations yourself. And lastly, you can do it by welcoming the nations. And here's what I'm getting at. Did you know that you don't have to go on a mission trip to interact with people from other nations? Okay. Did you know that you consistently have two to 3,000 international students if you're at Texas Tech? I try to look up stats for LCU and South Plains. I'm sorry, I, I had some trouble finding them. Uh, they, they are there. But did you know if you're at Texas Tech University, you have two to 3,000 international students at all times. They're on campus every single academic year. That's roughly 5% of the entire student population. And get this, this gets even better. I love this. I was looking this up. Tech's top international student population are from India, strongly Hindu, China, strongly atheistic, Bangladesh, strongly Muslim. That means the largest international student population that you have at your campuses are from three countries that have some of the world's largest and most unreached people groups within their borders. It just keeps getting better. Many of the international students have left their borders of their countries and come to Lovick? <laughs> like, that's a news article. You're like, that's fake news, right? No. They're right here. That was one of the first things I, Caitlin and I talked about when we were praying, coming here. Are there international student population there? Yes. Yes, there is. I think um, it was, where's Rob Littlefield back there? Rob Littlefield, Brandon Hayes went on campus. Um, they didn't have to go on there maybe two to three times. They met a, a student um, who identified with Islam and, and talked with him and like just two or three times, just interacted like that. They weren't doing anything special. They, didn't, they weren't like handing anything out. You know what I mean? There wasn't anything magical about their approach. They're right here. And so what do we do about this, friends? What do we do about this? We welcome them in with the love of Christ and sweet, sweet Christian hospitality. 
Tap into that. If you're not from Lubbock, ask someone that is. Lubbock people are good at feeding you well, bringing you into the home, keeping you way too long. We talk a lot, right? All right. Ask Lubbock people how to be hospital if you don't know how. And we welcome the nations in like that. I, I, I remember uh, speaking just to the Islamic religion. Um, at one point in my time overseas, um, I, I met uh, a couple of, of Muslim friends. And what I didn't know like, about an invitation to dinner is you're, you're committing to like about seven hours, really. <laughs> and so like, uh, I was asked, <laughs> he's like, yep, oh, that's hilarious. Oh, and so they said, show up at 6 p.m. And so like a good American, I was there at 5.55 you know, really proud of myself, like nailing it. Um, it, it six o'clock hits, homeboy's not at his house. 6.30 hits, he's still not there. 6.45, he's still not there. I go home, you know, like, I guess he forgot about me. Calls me at like 7.45, like, hey, where are you at? We're gonna have dinner. I was like, yeah, I was there at six. And he's like, no, 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 come on over, come on over. And so well, I, I came in and like, I'm like, oh, okay. So like he ordered dinner. Oh, no, no. No, he hadn't even, the food hadn't started. It wasn't even on the stovetop yet. I mean, if y'all seen the office episode with like the dinner party, it's kind of like that. You know what I mean? Where like Pam's asking Jan, anyway, okay, stop it, Cole, stop it. Okay, and so I'm just like, great. Like I'm starving. I'm so, so hungry. It's like 8 p.m., 9 p.m. Like a, like a good American that has to be in charge of everything. I was like, hey, so um, how's, how's, I was like, oh, that smells good. How much longer we have? It didn't smell good. There was no smell. It wasn't cooking yet, you know? I'm like, okay, how much longer we have? And sure enough, time goes on. And finally, I see something that appears to be like a, a rice thing. And I was like, okay, I think they were making some progress. And he's like, now we cook the meat. I'm like, oh, you know? So we get the meat cooked and I see he's mixing it in with the rice and all this. I don't I don't know what this is called, by the way. Um, and it's this massive platter that's finally complete. It's, you know what time it was? It was midnight. <laughs> midnight. I showed up at six, guys. I showed up at six hungry, all right? And show up, and uh, he, gets, he gets the platter out. He sits it um, kind of in the middle, like on the ground. And a few of our friends, uh, we finally started eating. But you know what? During that long waiting time, when I started figuring out, I was like, Oh, they want to talk to me. <laughs> yeah, this is what this is about. They want, they want to talk to me. This is not just about eating and, all right, let's move on. They talk to me. They ask me about themselves. And good conversation, deep conversation. Ask about family, background, all those things. We, we finally eat. They're even gracious to me because uh, I'm not going to go into the details, but I, I, I'm left-handed. You don't, you're not supposed to eat food with your left hand. Um, if you don't get that reference, we can talk about it later. But you don't use the left hand to eat. You use it for something else. And so anyway, they use the right hand to eat. I was using my left hand. They kind of gave me an awkward look. And they're like, it's okay, brother. It's okay. And so we were just eating and talking. And why did I tell you this big, long story? Um, guys, I, I realized after that, oh, man, that, that was the best way that they knew how to show me, hey, dude, we love you. Like, we care about you. We want to we hang out with you. We want to invest in your life. In other words, hospitality was their love language. Hospitality was the way in which they could tell me, we, we care about you. We want to spend time with you. And so guess what? Uh, something that we need to be awoken to is besides America and some places in Europe, that's basically every other country. Like top love language showing hospitality. They don't want just a quick 30-minute like coffee, 45-minute. Like They want you to bring them in and welcome them in and let, let them dine at your table. Some of you in the dorms, like figure it out. Put a little chair in the middle. I don't know. I'm just joking. 
Take them out. Let them experience, oh, the best experience they're going to have besides salvation. Let them experience Tex-Mex for the first time. Amen? You know what I'm saying? Bring them in. Welcome them in. Talk to them. Have a genuine interest in who they are. That's how we do it. Be salt, light, and love to them. Ask them their story. And don't, don't forget to share your story with them. Share with them how Jesus changed your life. What this takes is not easy. It takes an emptying yourself mindset. It takes a Philippians 2 mindset. You know, the scriptures explain it like this, that, that, that Christ condescended from heaven. He left his heavenly abode to come to us. You think there are some things that Jesus didn't like in flesh about living on the earth? You, you ever think about that? This sacrificial emptying of self that, that Jesus left, like heaven, earth, big contrast. No sin, sin everywhere, right? No COVID, COVID, right? And to think that the, the humility and the sacrificing of self that Jesus displayed for us in Philippians 2, the scriptures tell us, you have that mind, you do that. So we, we empty ourselves our own self-interest. We welcome these students have come from places that likely have never heard the gospel. And we, we, we're salt, light, and love to them. We show them Jesus through us. And so friends, you can do this. You can live a missional lifestyle by praying, by giving, your least favorite point of tonight, <laughs> by sending, by going, <laughs> and by welcoming in. And I will say it again. You doing one, just one of those things, are engaged with the mission of God. Is that not easy? Don't you raise your hand if you think you can do one of those things. Just one, right? Every hand should be raised. <laughs> okay, just, just, just saying. Every hand should be raised. Because that's the point. You, if you are in Christ, I know the Holy Spirit in you is going to stir you up enough to do at least one of those things. Because you're a new creation. You have a new heart. You care about God's glory to the nations. It's just how you're wired now in Christ. With all these ways to live a missional lifestyle, my question is, what part will you play in the mission of God? I'm gonna ask the band to come up as we close. And I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 24, verse 14. Matthew chapter 24, Verse 14. Matthew twenty four fourteen. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. This is Jesus speaking. And you notice he says, in this gospel of the kingdom, ah, uh, maybe proclaimed. No. He says it will be. Where? Throughout just some of the world? <laughs> nope. Throughout the whole world world as a testimony to some nations no 
as a testimony to all nations. As a testimony to the 3.2 billion unreached people groups who at the time only have 0.1% of the entirety of missions funding going to them. Even for them, even when we're looking at the reality of what's happening right now, how many unreached there are, Jesus says the gospel is going to be proclaimed to all nations. And then the end will come. You know what this means, friend? That means there's going to be a day that comes. We don't know when it is. Where unreached people groups aren't a thing anymore. Amen? There's going to come a day where I don't have to worry about sharing with you some stats that may be depressing, actually in hopes of influencing you to pray to give. And to go. There's going to come a day where they just don't exist anymore because they've been reached. The gospel has been proclaimed to them. I don't know about you. I want in on that. Jesus is saying it's going to happen. Like it's a, it's a battle it's, that you can't lose. Like it's a rigged win. Like you're going you're gonna to be just jumping into something that is for sure. It's granted. I want in on that. Somehow, someway, God will do it. And guess what his plan A is? His plan A is you and me. That's how he wants to do it. The unreached will one day be reached. The only thing is, what part will you play? That's the question to ask. What part will you play? Let's pray. God, thank you for giving us confidence in your sovereignty and your salvation and your ability to save. It's not only can you, but that you will. You will make your name known the gospel will be proclaimed among all nations. And we thank you for that. Lord, stir our hearts and reveal to us how we can pray, how we can give, how we can send, how we can go, and how we can welcome the nations, God. Because we care about these things, Lord, because we, many of us in this room, are Christians. We have your Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, stir us in us the desires that we should already have because we belong to you and we're wired and designed for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to The Journey Podcast. You can learn more about The Journey by checking us out on Instagram or Facebook. Just search for at the journey LBK.